0: Governor Andrew Cuomo declares a disaster emergency on gun violence. Our most powerful institutions have been hijacked by radicals, and our education system is now rife with critical theory of all sorts. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. For peace of mind, whenever you go online, visit expressvpn.com. Ben will get to all the news in just one moment. First, you know, when you go online and then you pop on incognito mode, you're probably thinking to yourself, I am now incognito. After all, it's called incognito mode. Unfortunately, incognito mode doesn't actually protect you from nearly anything. In fact, your activity might still be visible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. How can they even call it incognito to really stop people from seeing the sites you visit? You need to do what I do and use Express. VPN. Think about all the times you've used Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, a hotel, even at your parents' house. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the admin of that network. That is still true even when you are in so-called incognito mode. What's more, your home internet provider, I'm talking Comcast, AT&T, whatever, can also see and record your browsing data. In the United States, they can sell that data to advertisers. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all your network data, reroutes it through a network of secure servers, so your private online activity stays just that. Private, it's really easy to use. ExpressVPN, you click one button, you download it, you click another button, you are Ready to go. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Ben. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash Ben to get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben to learn more. Alrighty. So it is a common facet of all governments throughout human history that whenever a government seeks to maximize its own power, it declares an emergency. We saw this most prominently with COVID. When the government still has not let go, the emergency measures put in place To try and fight a virus that nobody knew anything about, even though we now have enough information to reopen, even though we now have a vaccine, we see all over the world. There are places still locking down for no apparent reason. We see with regard to virtually every major topic of the day, a desire by governmental actors to declare an emergency specifically so they can then take greater control. On the right, you might see President Trump, for example, declare a border emergency, even though it isn't technically an emergency in the sense that it actually invokes emergency powers. If you declare something an emergency, people are more likely to give you the means necessary in order to solve the emergency. And so governmental actors always, right, left, and center, have a deep desire, an abiding desire to declare everything an emergency so that people will throw up their hands and say, well, in an emergency, you need to call in the brute squad, right? It's an emergency. That means it's time for Caesar to take control. Right? Dictators rarely gain power without there being some sort of emergency that precedes the dictatorship in which the people throw up their hands and they say, I don't care how it gets done, it needs to get done, and we need somebody to step in and do this thing right now. And right now in the United States, the side that is most commonly invoking emergencies in order to centralize power is the political left, without question. The latest indicator of this is Andrew Cuomo. This is a dude who fell in love with power during COVID when he was widely championed as this unbelievable governor, even though half the people in his state died and he was killing all the olds. Andrew Cuomo did a horrible job in New York, didn't matter, he was celebrated, as the greatest politician in America, even though he is a nasty, cruel person, according to members of his own party, he is, he is a, a botchery of a governor who is shipping COVID-positive old people back into nursing homes in order so that they could presumably spread that disease, and then hiding the stats by suggesting that if you died at a hospital, you didn't die in a nursing home. All the, all the while, he was sexually harassing the staff. So really just a, a genius of leadership. Remember just a few months ago when Andrew Cuomo was supposedly on the outs? Remember, there are all these women who came forward and suggested that he had sexually harassed and or assaulted them. Remember that? And, and then it just sort of went away because the rule in American politics is not the rule from the Dark Knight, where you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. It's either die a hero, live long enough to become a villain or live even longer and become a hero again. And this is what's happened with Ralph Northam in Virginia, who could be just as racist as he wanted 30 years ago. Everybody who call for him to leave. If you stick around long enough, Joe Biden will campaign with you. Andrew Cuomo can sexually harass the help as much as he wants and kill all the olds in New York. And eventually, if you just stick around long enough, everything will go away. Politicians who brazen it out are the ones who are doing the best in the modern era, for sure. But Andrew Cuomo, bottom line is the dude fell in love with control. He loves control. And this is not rare for politicians from New York. There is something to the notion of of populist leftist states where people in control, people in charge, love the power. And they are constantly declaring emergencies. And again, when you declare an emergency, you get to grab control of the reins. So New York has seen this radical increase in crime, particularly violent crime in New York City. And it's very, very, very obvious why this is happening. We've seen this massive spike in violence in every major metropolitan area run by a Democrat across the United States during COVID. And the reason that you've seen that is because of the George Floyd movement. The, the BLM movement that was specifically dedicated at kneecapping the police and suggesting the police were systemically racist. It was time to defund them. That the big problem in America's major metropolitan areas is that there were too many police officers and the police officers were just too terrible and just too brutal. And so the police stopped policing. Many police officers quit. The police were underfunded and they were told not to enforce the law. Now, I, I received much mockery when I suggested that New York City mayoral candidates ought to be talking about banning crime. The reason I said that is because They literally are allowing crime to take place. They're just saying we're not even going to prosecute crime. In fact, there's a story, I believe, out of Los Angeles recently that suggested that the new DA there is now declaring that low-level crimes will never be prosecuted, essentially. Okay, so the reason we've seen this massive uptick in crime is because when you tolerate crime, you get more of this. This is a very robust social science finding. When you want crime to go away, you need more cops. But Democrats don't want to admit that the police are the good guys. They don't want to admit that the cops are overwhelmingly people who are standing between them and disorder. And so instead, they've come up with a new math. And the math is we do have an emergency, but it's not an emergency having to do with crime in which we would give more power to the police to crack down on crime. No, the emergency is guns. The emergency is gun violence. And you say to yourself, wait a second, aren't guns just an inanimate object? And haven't the number of guns in in circulation in the United States risen dramatically since like say 1994 to now? While crime rates, particularly violent crime rates, declined up until about 2014, 2015. So there's no correlation there. Yes, you might say that if you were an intelligent human, but if you're a Democrat, if you're a Democrat by the name of Andrew Cuomo, you do have an emergency and the emergency is guns. And if you can declare a public health emergency on the basis of guns, then you can do whatever you want. In the same way that Lori Lightfoot in Chicago has now declared racism a public health emergency and then suggested, I need more power in order to solve this emergency. Andrew Cuomo has now declared gun violence an emergency in New York State. Now, again, that's not a description of a thing, right? There's You can say there's a, a violence. emergency emergency and a crime emergency, because those are activities in which people engage. Gun violence is a tool. Okay, guns are a tool. Violence is an activity. To suggest that the tool is the emergency is, of course, nonsensical on its face. But as long as you invoke an emergency, you're fine. So here's Andrew Cuomo yesterday declaring a disaster emergency on gun violence. We're post-COVID, but there's still low tide inequality and it is still a matter of life and death we went from one epidemic to another epidemic we went from covid to the epidemic of gun violence and the fear and the death that goes along with it it's been all over the newspapers it is undeniable it's unbelievable okay so The the point is that he says that more people in New York State were shot last weekend over July 4th than died of COVID. That's true. But there is no correlation between COVID, which was an actual viral emergency in which people were giving each other a disease and overwhelming the hospitals, right? In which the government, you can make the argument, had to step in and tell people to stay home for a bit while they figured out what exactly was going on, so that the hospital system, particularly in New York, wasn't overwhelmed. And gun violence, which, as it turns out, is not transmissible, right? There is not a single person who has ever committed an act of gun violence in the United States who then transmitted it to another person who then was had to engage in gun violence because they were transmitted a disease. Okay, but again, the point is that once you declare an emergency, you can do whatever you want. So we'll get to exactly what Andrew Cuomo is proposing in just one second. First, let's talk about a simple fact. When you start a business, you really don't think about HR very much. It's sort of an afterthought. It's like Toby from The Office, right? But if you don't actually take a look at your HR issues, they can kill you and come back and just destroy your business, which is why you need Bambi. When you're running a business, HR issues are really important. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. You need to make sure you're in compliance. HR manager salaries are not cheap. They average 70,000 bucks a year. Bambi is spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. It was created specifically for a small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, maintain your compliance, all for just 99 bucks a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From determinations that customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just 99 bucks a month. They're month-to-month, no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You didn't start that business because you wanted to handle HR, so why not let Bambi do it for you? Go to Bambi.com slash Shapiro right now to schedule your free HR audit. That is Bambi.com slash Shapiro, spelled B-A-M to the be dot com slash Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Okay, so the governor has now, because he declared an emergency, allocated $139 million to address shootings. And what exactly is he attempting to do? Well, he he had some tweets about what exactly he was attempting to do, did the governor. So he tweeted out, the gun industry is the only industry in America with immunity from civil lawsuits. It's an insult to victims of gun violence. Today, I'm signing legislation to reinstate public nuisance liability for gun manufacturers in New York State. And then he thanks a couple of Democrats. Okay, so let's start with what this means. Number one, this is legally nonsensical. The gun industry is not the only industry in America that is legally immune to liability. The gun industry is the only industry in America where Democrats have attempted to craft a new form of liability for gun manufacturers, suggesting that normally when it comes to products liability, there are a few different sort of defects that you can sue somebody for. You can sue somebody because there is a manufacturing liability issue, right? You, you, you bought a crib and there's a manufacturing defect in the crib and God forbid your, your child gets hurt. You can sue the company based on the manufacturing defect. You can do design defect. They designed the crib in such a way that it was likely to do harm, right? It's a design defect. This is all products liability kind of stuff. There is no product liability when there's no design defect in the crib and no manufacturing defect in the crib. And instead, you took your baby and you slammed your baby's head against the crib. Okay, same thing with a gun. Okay, a gun that is properly designed is designed to shoot. Okay, if if the gun blows up in your face, that's a product's liability suit. If the gun is so poorly designed that it damages somebody you are not shooting at, then that's a product's liability suit. But- If you use a gun for its intended purpose or even for its not intended purpose, but it is it it operates as designed, it is treated like any other tool. Democrats have tried to say that a gun is inherently dangerous and therefore should be subject to liability if a bad person uses a gun for a bad thing. That is what he's talking about there when he says that there should also be public nuisance liability. Public nuisance is when a corporation pollutes a river. That's what public nuisance is. The, The corporation has downstream effects polluting the environment. It is not a public nuisance when you manufacture a product that somebody buys and the person misuses the product any more than a chainsaw manufacturer is engaged in public nuisance when a a horror movie villain decides to go through a sorority house with a chainsaw. That's not how any of that works. It is a violation of basic black letter law. What he is pushing here will be struck down immediately by any court with half a brain, obviously. But again, the point here is not to actually solve the problem. The point here is to accrete power in the center of power, namely under Andrew Cuomo's auspices. He tweeted out over the July Fourth weekend: More people in New York State were shot than died of COVID. Gun violence is an epidemic. No, it is not. It does not fit any of the definitional terms of an epidemic. None. Okay, the definition of an epidemic is is not a person did a thing that has no impact on me, and that's it. That that's 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 not an epidemic. The definition is the widespread occurrence of an infectious disease in a community at a particular time. Dictionary definition: Is this a widespread disease? Do you catch gun violence? It's so maddening, but if you change the definitions, you can declare a public health emergency. He says we should treat gun violence as a public health crisis. So according to Democrats, just to be straight about this, we have a public health emergency of racism and of gun violence. Those are the two things we have a public health emergency about in the United States. Interesting take in that neither of those is a public health emergency. What exactly are these strategies that Andrew Cuomo is pushing? He wants to deploy a public health approach to gun violence, but he's going to lock you in your home and force you to wear a mask or what? target hotspots using science and data. Oh, you mean doing the things that police used to be allowed to do, but, but now are no longer allowed to do because if you target gun violence hotspots, disproportionately, this will affect minority communities because that's where much of the gun violence is taking place. Like it's fun when he says things like, we're gonna target hotspots using science and data. Literally, that was Comstat, introduced by William Bratton in the 1990s. And then it was declared that this was a form of racial profiling because it turns out a huge amount of gun violence, particularly in major metros, happens in in poor minority areas. Positive engagement for at-risk youth. So that, that, that's going to change things. Double funding in proven violence intervention programs. Get illegal guns off the streets. Keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. Strengthen the police community relationship. Okay, how, how is any of this solving gun violence? Uh, how about like more funding for the cops? How about let the cops do their job? But again, it's not about any of that. It's about pretending to solve a problem while declaring an emergency. So again, you can accrue more power and use it to cram down your particular point of view. And this is how the left operates these days. Everything is an emergency. And if it's a solvable emergency, then you just ignore the solution in order so you can declare it a broader emergency. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that your sleep quality, very often it is compromised. So, you know, for me, my kids are waking me up so early in the morning. I got to tell you, I didn't drink coffee until I had kids. And now I guzzle it like it's going out of style. But... It also means that I have to have a great mattress because when I'm on that mattress, I cannot be tossing and turning. I do not have the time for that. I need a mattress made just for me. Everybody is unique Helix knows that. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome. You don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash men, take their two-minute sleep quiz, they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They've got a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all their mattress orders and two free pillows, for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash Ben, it's about as good a deal as you're going to get. 200 bucks off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners with a mattress made just for you the way my wife and I have one. It is fantastic. Helixsleep.com slash Ben to get started. All right. So emergency breeds control. Emergency breeds control for the left. And so everything is an emergency. As I've said, the declaration by the left that gun violence is an emergency and therefore the governor can literally just invoke emergency powers. That's dangerous stuff. As we'll talk about in a bit, they do the same thing with climate change. Climate change is an emergency. Therefore, give us power. We don't need checks and balances. We don't need considered public policy. We don't need to battle this out. We actually just take control and we solve the problem because the problem is an emergency. And okay, the big public health emergency of our day is, of course, racism. And the, the, the R just gets longer and rolls more as time goes on. And as the emergency becomes deeper and more profound. The, the left's argument is that America is in the crisis of, of race and a uh, crisis of racial division, a reckoning, a reckoning. Now, normally, when there is a reckoning, what that means is that the people who are guilty pay, right? When, when there's a reckoning, it means that somebody is guilty and that person pays, that person has had a reckoning. In the United States, the way a reckoning works is that we are all supposed to take blame for a bunch of crap that we didn't do, specifically so that people can game the system and take control of it. That's effectively the argument that is made by the left these days. And this argument has now made its way in nearly every major institution in American society that we are experiencing such an emergency that all aspects of the institutional structures of the United States must be activated in order to fight this emergency. It's like World War Two, but with race. World War II, we had to commandeer all of industry. We had to use all of it to produce the weaponry necessary in order to defeat the Nazis. World War II, we had to regiment the population to act in particular ways and make particular sacrifices. We had to, hell, draft every eligible man over the age of 18 in order to fight in a war. This is a war. The left loves the language of war, you may notice. It's a war on poverty. It's a war on racism. It's a war on inequality. It's always a war. Why does the left love the language of war so much? The reason they love the language of war is because war requires regimentation. War requires top-down control. Now, they tend to apply the term war to things that can never be defeated. Racism can never be defeated. Racism can be mitigated. You can change legal structures to prevent racism from benefiting people, for example. you can stop Jim Crow. But racism as a phenomenon in the human heart can never be defeated. The left loves declaring wars. You want to talk about endless wars? People talk about endless wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Those were not endless wars. But put that aside. The actual endless wars are the wars the left declares. We have still not reached the end of the war on drugs declared by the left in the 60s. We still have not reached the end of the war on poverty declared by the left in the 60s. We still have not reached the end of the war on racism declared by the left in the 60s. Why? Because these are things that will never go away. And that's the point. The more they don't go away, the more the war is endless, the more control you need. You know, during the Vietnam War, Lyndon Baines Johnson engaged in a military strategy egged on by his idiot Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara, of graduated escalation. Graduated escal- escalation was the notion that we were going to, instead of just flooding the zone in Vietnam with an overwhelming number of troops and thereby defeating the Viet Cong quickly, instead what we were going to do is we were going to gradually ratchet up the pressure and eventually the Viet Cong would probably learn that they shouldn't screw with us. Well, that didn't work. But the notion of graduated escalation is exactly how the left treats government involvement in these wars. We will gradually escalate the amount of government control. And the goal there is precisely the opposite of what graduated escalation was supposed to accomplish in Vietnam, namely the end of the war. Here, graduated escalation is supposed to make you accustomed to the government being more in control of your life and to the institutions of power being shifted and and twisted into tools of the government. So slowly you don't even notice. So slowly that that the roots of ideology grow deep into the bedrock of the foundational systems of the country. And then it's too late to uproot them. It's too late to change them. This is the goal of the left. And when this is challenged, people go nuts. When this is challenged, people go crazy. And that's the current debate that you're seeing over critical race theory, for example, or teaching in the schools. The left has spent the last 60 years in this country attempting to infiltrate every major institution with radical ideas about what humanity should be and who should control other people. And now when it's challenged, they're very angry that you've noticed. They're very angry that you've seen it. And so they they are fighting back in major ways or declaring that this stuff is just not a big deal. Why are you even noticing? Why why is it even a big deal? And it is nearly every major institution in American society. Now, I, I will once again here pitch my upcoming book, The Authoritarian Moment. It is about this. It is about how every major institution in American society has been weaponized and militarized by the ardent left over the course of the last six decades and how these institutions need to be renormalized, all it would have taken is that apathetic middle standing up on its hind legs and saying no. It's happening late, but it's starting to happen. But it needs to happen because the reality is the left continues to declare these emergencies. These emergencies are necessary in order for them to once again, centralize all power in themselves. And it's happening in the institutions you'd least expect. Like for example, the US military. It's amazing to see the left defend the military only and only, really only, when the military is indoctrinating its soldiers in wokeism, when the military is doing its actual job, namely breaking things and protecting people, when, when the military does its job abroad, then the military is bad and brutal and vicious and imperialist and colonialist. When the, when the military is a tool for social engineering, whereby we cram down on America's fighting men and women, bizarre radical notions about race in the United States, then that is a good thing. That's when the military is at its best, when it's an indoctrination system. Which is why the UK Daily Mail is reporting today a U.S. Air Force Academy professor backs critical race theory for all troops, says the Constitution created inequality, that George Washington was a racist and that U.S. domestic and foreign policy is shaped by racism. According to the UK Daily Mail, a United States Air Force Academy professor has argued critical race theory should be taught to all cadets so they can understand how the United States was, quote unquote, shaped by racism. Now, this is the thing to understand about critical race theory. Critical race theory is not just one of many theories. Critical race theory has a praxis component. Okay, praxis is Latin for practice. It has a, it has a component in which you are expected to engage in activism. Critical race theory is not an analytic tool for examining the universe. It is an activist wing of the radical left. A critical race theory is not just a theory any more than gender theory is just a theory. It is a way of approaching the world that calls for activism. It requires activism. And it suggests that you are complicit in the systems of power unless you engage in precisely that activism. So when people say, well, how? Di- why, why shouldn't we teach critical race theory? Because you can't teach critical race theory unless you're doing so critically, which they don't want you to do. You can't teach critical race theory without also teaching that you are complicit in racism, white supremacy, heteronormativity, bigotry of all sorts, If you are not tearing down the system actively, it's like teaching Marxist activism in class, not Marxism as a theory, Marxist activism in class. That's what critical race theory is with regard to race. Political scientist Lynn Chandler Garcia said the Constitution brought about inequality and that George Washington was a racist. She argued the history of the United States proved that racism has shaped both foreign and domestic policy. Garcia teaches the Marxist theory at the the U.S. Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. She said she agreed with Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Mark Milley, who recently told Congress critical race theory is not unpatriotic. That is a lie. It is deeply unpatriotic. Its essence is unpatriotic. It overtly argues capitalism has to be dismantled. Individual rights have to be dismantled because those are just mere facades for hierarchies of power. Okay, So now this stuff is being taught to our cadets. Garcia writes in the Washington Post, quote, cadets like all military members take an oath to defend the Constitution with their lives. So it's crucial they have a sensitive understanding of that Constitution. In my classes, cadets learn about the ideals embedded in this founding document. We explore the liberalist theories that promoted these ideals and we embrace our democratic system of government. But we also acknowledge the United States was founded on a duality, liberalism and equal rights. On the one hand, inequality, inegalitarianism and second class citizenship on the other. Yes, clearly we want the people who have vowed to give their lives to protect the constitution to believe that the thing that they are giving their lives to defend is a racist document that is rife with inequality and in fact enshrines it in america's fundamental law vile and disgusting but again when you're fighting the emergency of racism everything is on the table guys racism is such an emergency in american life in a country in which black people have a higher household income than any other country on earth bar none in which black people have more power in america's institutions than any other country on earth bar none right in like any other diverse country, I should say, because they're presumably countries that, that have significantly less diversity in the United, than the United States, in which black people hold an enormous amount of power, but not nearly as powerful countries as the United States. Just a corrective there. The, the basic idea that black people are experiencing an emergency with regard to race in the United States in 2021 is patently insane. But again, the emergency is the point. We'll get to that in just one second. First, Let's talk about something special you can do for your family. So let me tell you about this unbelievably cool service. So on my phone, I have all these beautiful pictures of my family, right? But then, and and you do too, and you don't do anything with them. What if there were a service that could allow you to get those photos produced into a beautiful object that you can then put on the shelf, put in your house, put on your office desk? Okay, this is where my photo comes in. We take photos of special moments together after a long year off, and after you take that photo, what you do is make it physical. You go to myphoto.com. It is awesome. It is easy to use. It takes literally two minutes to create a special product for your own wall or shelf. They make great gifts for loved ones. They are beautiful and right? they really look great. My photo prints your image directly on acrylic, glass, metal, and more. You need to go to myphoto.com and check it out. That's myphoto.com. I have a bunch of objects from my photo that I've ordered. They, they grace basically every mantle in my house, pictures of my kids, pictures of me and my wife. They're just beautiful. They really shine because we got we had them printed on acrylic. It's, it's pretty spectacular. Order today, you'll get 20% off your order, which will arrive in just five days. Prices start at just 12 bucks. Use code BEN. Get 20% off today. It's not just like a flat picture that you printed out on like a little piece of paper that's going to rip or fall apart. It is a permanent object. It's great. Go to myphoto.com right now. Again, that is myphoto.com. Okay, so in the U.S. military, we are now teaching this stuff because again, emergency requires it. It requires it. And this is exactly the case that is made, for example, by Raytheon. So our, our defense contractors. So private industry takes a hint from government. They take in a hint from all the other major institutions in the United States. They have to please their bosses in the government. And so what they do is they've started to cram down critical race theory on their own employees. Again, in order to solve the emergency, everything must be weaponized. Every, every aspect of American society must be drafted into this war on racism. Even though, again, racism is at the lowest ebb it has ever been in human history. We will, uh, we, it, is a, it is a war that is, that is taking over the streets of the United States. So, Chris Rufo, who has been doing unbelievably great work with regard to calling out critical race theory and the teaching of, quote-unquote, anti-racist propaganda in, in America's corporate world, Raytheon forced its um, employees to, in, in, well it, or encouraged its uh, white employees to confront their privilege, reject, reject the principle of equality, and defund the police. They've launched their own critical race theory program in coordination with Blue Ocean Brain. Hey, here's a little bit of their guide, and it's, it's worth going, to, going through a little bit in, in detail here. Stronger Together is what the guide is, is titled. Commitment to diversity and inclusion takes all of us, they say. CEO action was founded on a shared belief that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a societal issue, not a competitive one. And that collaboration and bold action from the business community, especially CEOs, is vital to driving change at scale. You see, these CEOs, they have to maintain control over you because they are the greatest. Just as the left has always pined for a top-down organized economy in which a few big bosses get to run the whole show, so too with societal change, the CEOs will guide us. Take the I Act On pledge, they encourage their employees at Raytheon. We all contribute to our company culture. Make a commitment to foster an inclusive workplace through your behavior by signing the I Act On pledge. I pledge to check my bias, speak up for others, and show up for all. I will check my own biases and take meaningful action to understand and mitigate them. I will initiate meaningful, complex, sometimes difficult conversations with my friends and colleagues. I will ask myself, do my actions and words reflect the value of inclusion? Oh, so beautiful. This is all all in in fighting racism. Don't worry, it gets uh, a lot worse. A lot, lot worse. Let's continue. They recommend developing intersectional allyship in the workplace. Ooh, time for some intersectional allyship. So how can you be a really good ally? Well, first, you have to acknowledge your privilege and intersectionality. A collection of unearned advantages. This is is what privilege is. A collection of unearned advantages, both visible and invisible, based on a person's social identity or group membership. Now, one of the things here that's really interesting is they say a collection of unearned, and the un is in parentheses. So if there's a collection of earned advantages, that's not privilege anymore, right? Privilege is where you didn't earn it. But they say that even if you earned it, Maybe you didn't earn it. Privilege is relational and situational. While everyone has some degree of privilege, the corresponding advantages a person receives are based on where they are and who they are with. You see, it depends on your societal status. If you're a white man, you have had all the privileges. If you are, in fact, an Asian man who earns more than the white man, apparently not. How do you become an ally? Well, you use your everyday privilege. Privilege, says this program over again at Raytheon, a defense contractor. Privilege is often ignorable unless you don't have it. As award-winning psychologist and professor at New York University's Stern School of Business, Dolly Chu writes, In America, if you're white or Christian or able-bodied or straight or English-speaking, these particular identities are easy to forget. This is called ordinary privilege because these identities and traits easily blend in with the people and norms around us. The question for allies is this, how can you use your privilege to help others? First, identify your privilege. Consider those aspects of your identity. You think about the least, be it your gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation. Once you pinpoint your ordinary privileges, you can better utilize them to help people who don't share the same ones. You can learn about others' disadvantages. You can do this by increasing your awareness in your own life and looking beyond to the world in general. You can speak up just as the luxury to ignore microaggressions and other injustices is a tenet of privilege. Action is the cornerstone of allyship, right? So you, you have to speak up. No more microaggressions. You know, like treating other people like normal human beings who are capable of uh, shying off a joke or something. No, you have to speak up. And not only that, you have to step aside. So which is it? These are in conflict, right? You have to speak up, but also step aside. Recognizing your privilege also means recognizing when other voices are more important than your own. And this means that you have to shut up. Shut up. Be sure to amplify others instead of attempting to speak for them. Yes, you have to be quiet. Says the Raytheon program, straightness is a powerful example of privilege. If you're a straight person, it's likely you can go long periods without consciously considering how your sexual orientation impacts how you interact with the world. Actually, as it turns out, in a free society, you can pretty much go all the time without considering how your sexual orientation affects your place in the world because no one cares. Also, Raytheon suggests pro-inclusion tip. Someone's wraiths or ethnicity isn't a taboo topic. Talk openly about it to appeal to people's conscious values and challenge their unconscious biases. Yes, this is good. You should walk up to people and you should immediately label them by race. And you should identify everybody's race, they say, including those who are white. In any conversation, you should say, as a white male, or I'm going to shut up because I am a white male. Or you should just, I think a great way to start a dinner party is to just go around and have everybody name their race. I think that that, that's a great way to start a dinner party. Also, shut up. Right? Notice it. It all comes down to shut up. Pro-inclusion tip. According to, again, a Raytheon educational program, listen to the experiences of others, especially those with marginalized identities who often don't have an equal say in decision-making. Give them the floor in meetings or on calls, even if it means silencing yourself to do so. You learn more when you listen than when you speak anyway. So it's a win-win, unless apparently you're a member of a, a marginalized community, in which case everybody else is supposed to shut up and you should never listen ever, ever, ever because those people have nothing to teach you because obviously they are a member of the privileged class. And then, This is, I think, my favorite part of the program. They explain things to say to black people and not to say to black people, which is not dictatorial and insane in any way. Again, this is being taught to our defense contractors. What not to say to your black colleagues right now? I'm scared to say the wrong thing to you. You shouldn't say that. Because this asks your black colleague to either console you or help you figure out what to say. And that isn't fair. You also should not say, I hope and pray things change soon. This shows you mean well, but meaning well isn't enough. You have to do the work. I can't wait for things to calm down and get back to normal. This says that your comfort is more important than the message of anti-racism. No, no, no. You're, you're supposed to. You're supposed to talk about what a victim the other person is. You're supposed to say things like. I'm taking steps to become a better ally. I'm shutting down racist comments on my team. I'm supporting the fight against racism by calling my representatives, backing black businesses and or X, Y, Z. Right, this is where you move from the theory to the praxis component. Do all the things we want you to do, or you are a racist. Do all the things we want you to do, or you are complicit in the systemic injustices of American life. Also, you're supposed to say things like, I realize my discomfort is a fraction of what you are feeling. According to uh, one of the teachers, black people are, quote, exhausted, mentally drained, frustrated, stressed, barely sleeping, scared and overwhelmed feelings which demand empathy and and action. All of them, like every single black person is exhausted, mentally drained, frustrated, stressed, barely sleeping. Oh, And then we get the obligatory Kamala Harris communist slide in which we find out that equality is unequal because when you give everybody equal rights under the law then some people finish behind other people. Instead, what we have to do is we have to build ramps and give people affirmative boxes in order so that everybody can, uh, can get ahead. The, see, the, the, problem with this particular, the problem with this particular equity versus uh, equality slide, this famous cartoon, is that the, re, the real cartoon would not involve the person on the left, the tallest person. So the, for, for those who, who are not seeing this visually, the equality slide, they say equality is bad because equality doesn't take into account people's pre-existing conditions and the fact that we are not all created equal in all respects, right? Some of us are created smarter, some dumber, some taller, some shorter, etc. So it shows a slide of three people behind a fence trying to watch a game, apparently illegally, because they should be buying tickets. And uh, And the person on the left is tall, the person in the middle is short, and the person on the right hand side of the of the little slide is in a wheelchair. So the short person can barely see, and the person in the wheelchair can't see at all. Equity is where we build a giant ramp so that the person in the wheelchair can now see over the fence and where we add a, we take a box away from the tall guy and give it to the short person to ensure that she can see as well. Okay, there's only one problem. When it comes to the equity the left is pushing, it is a zero-sum game. It is not a system where everybody gets more out of it and no one loses. It is not Pareto optimal in the economic terminology. Instead, what the equity slide should actually show is chopping off the legs of the guy on the left And then sewing them on to the person in the middle who, because she is still better off than the person in the wheelchair, then has to chop off her arms. And those can be used as a sort of props to prop up the wheelchair. See, equity is a bloody business, gang. When you start deciding that you are going to privilege certain populations at the expense of other populations based on either pre-existing conditions or not based on pre-existing conditions, based instead on simple choice that people are making on an individual level you are doomed to, to do violence to the people who, uh, who are supposedly privileged in your society. Hey, now, here's the thing. If you catch any of this, then people get very angry. If you catch the fact that this has moved into all aspects of our society, including the military, including the training of our defense contractors, then people get very, very upset with you. Which is why, for example, Eddie Gloud, who's just, a, he's a professor. I'm trying to remember where, where Eddie Gloud is a, is a professor. I believe he's at Princeton. Uh, which is kind of incredible considering how uh, unimpressive his writings are. And I've, I've read many of them. Uh, Eddie Gloud speaking with Chris Rufo. And Rufo is detailing how critical race theory is, in fact, racist. And Gloud just starts rolling his eyes. Because, of course, you're not supposed to catch on to what all of this is. Here is Eddie Gloud versus Chris Rufo on MSNBC. It's not accurate to say that I'm not concerned about the substance. I've written policy papers, white papers. I've written investigative reports. I'm deeply concerned about the substance. But what I'm concerned about and what millions of parents are really concerned about is things that are happening in hundreds of public schools in Illinois and Chicago, uh, where they're teaching kindergartner, children as young as kindergarten that whiteness uh, is the devil and attempts to lure people into it uh, with the promise of stolen land and stolen riches. Uh, that's a book that's being used in hundreds of schools. And people don't think that's right. I okay, glad is rolling his eyes at that. But Rufo is correct. There isn't, in fact, a children's book directed at your kids that teaches them that your whiteness is a deal that you effectively make with Satan in which you get all these wonderful privileges. All you have to give up is your soul. Okay, But again, the eye rolling from the media is not a true eye roll because they know it's true. It's just they object to you noticing this. They don't like that you're noticing this. And by the way, it's the biggest teachers unions in the country. The American Federation of Teachers, Randy Weingarten, one of the worst people in the country. I mean, just truly a, a bad person with regard to shutting down schools, with regard to disadvantaging children. The AFT's Randy Weingarten says, if people break the law, states are now passing laws to ban critical race theory, as they should. Because again, it is a practical, it is not a theory. It is not a way of viewing the world. It is, a, it is an activist indoctrination tool. Okay, Randy Weingarten says, if teachers violate the law, then we will defend them in court. That is, a, we, will, we will do that. Mark my words. Our union will defend any member who gets in trouble for teaching honest history. We have a legal defense fund ready to go, and we are preparing for litigation as we speak. Well, I- I'm sure they would not have similar thoughts about teaching, you know, traditional American history if you got fired for that over at the AFT. Again, there is an indoctrination movement on the left; and it has moved throughout our schools. It, it-, it is. It is truly an amazing thing. And by the way, it does not just apply with regard to race. It also obviously applies with regard to sexual identity. We'll get to that in just one moment because every form of radicalism has set its roots deep into the bedrock of the fundamental institutions of American life. First, let's talk about the fact that this summer, hopefully we'll all be back on the move. I mean, you should be, okay? Life is back to normal. And if you're not treating it as normal, you're doing it wrong. Well, that means that you need a great pair of wireless earbuds. Whether you are just going out and enjoying the day and listening to some tunes, or whether you're listening to podcasts like this one, Whatever it is that you are doing, you need a great pair of wireless earbuds and Raycons can help make your day better. A pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears can make all the difference no matter what you are listening to. You get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. Raycons look great. They feel even better. They come in a range of cool colors with customizable gel tips included for a comfortable in-ear fit. And Raycons are built to go wherever you go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. Listen up. Raycon is offering 15% off all their products for my listeners. Here's what you've got to do to go get it. Go to buyraycon.com slash Ben. There, you will get 15% off your entire Raycon order. It's such a good deal, you'll want to grab a pair and a spare. That is 15% off at buyraycon.com slash Ben. Once again, that is B-U-I-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash Ben. Buyraycon.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Buyraycon.com slash Ben for 15% off. Alrighty, too many Americans have forgotten a pretty basic fact. Freedom isn't free. That price has historically been human life, which is why, in honor of America's independence, this week, the Daily Wire is celebrating the men who sacrificed themselves for our freedom with our newest podcast, America's Forgotten Heroes. The podcast boasts seven episodes detailing the lives of seven legendary men who risked it all for America. One of those men was Frank Luke, an ace pilot with a tendency to fly alone and disobey orders. He shot his way into history after taking down 17 enemy aircraft over the course of 12 furious days. Those weren't just any aircraft. They were the observation balloons, which were by far the most heavily defended targets of the war. Luke's final flight took place when he was only 21 years old after shooting down three more enemy balloons. He was shot fatally by German troops. There's no doubt Frank Luke was an American patriot whose fervent personality matched his passion for our country. He deserves to be remembered. Subscribe now to America's Forgotten Heroes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. The last episode is out today. For a total of seven episodes, too many heroes never received the recognition they deserve. Sharing their stories with you on this Independence Day holiday is our small tribute. To their heroism. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. Help us share these incredible stories. Thanks for listening. Thank you to the heroes that made such an excellent podcast possible. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. It's not merely that our schools have been taken over by critical race theory. They've also been taken over by gender theory. Because gender theory is an aspect of critical theory more broadly. Critical theory is the idea that it comes out of deconstructionism in the 1960s, particularly Foucault. The basic idea is that all institutions, all language is the language of power. Gender theory suggests that gender is completely disconnected from biological sex, that it is a social construct designed to re-enshrine hierarchies of power. Just as critical race theory suggests the same about our hierarchies of power and America's institutions. Gender theory suggests more broadly that all notions of male and female are in and of themselves a social construct, completely dispensable, and not only dispensable, they must be torn down. Very important to tear that stuff down so that people can live freer and better lives, free of the expectations of a society that represses them, that, that, that cramps their style, we need to allow people the freedom to self-identify from the time they are in kindergarten. And, in, and the real idea here is that you can overthrow all systems of power which are embedded in patriarchal systems if all you do is just overthrow basic notions of human biology, science, physics, you know, virtually any sort of verifiable data. And this sort of stuff is being taught in our schools as well. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and Jump into loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John to come home to as I slip into my Tommy John loungewear set. I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, well, if I have to walk to the park with my kids, I don't look like a schlub. And guys, you might be wondering how these things can get any better. They're underwear, Tommy John's best pair lover wearer's free guarantee protects your most valuable asset. So what exactly are you waiting for? Try Tommy John today. You can thank me later. For silky soft comfort with sophisticated style, check out Tommy John's luxurious second skin limited edition colors right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. They're going fast, so hurry to TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Hey, the, the reality is, unfortunately, that the AFT, the NEA, all of these educational assorted unions have decided to indoctrinate Our kids in nearly every radical left theory they can imagine. And a lot of this is now being legislated into law. For example, in the state of California, the state of California does, in fact, require K through six LGBTQ plus agenda items be taught to small, small children. In fact, the ACLU has an entire guide to how to comply with the so-called California Healthy Youth Act, which is about as much of a misnomer as I can imagine. It requires school districts to provide students with integrated, comprehensive, accurate, and unbiased sexual health and HIV prevention education. It must be taught in grades seven through 12, at least once in middle school and once in high school. It can also be taught in any grade K through six inclusive, but it is not restricted just to sexual health and HIV prevention, of course. It is also a values teaching seminar. It is, it is an attempt to cram down particular socially leftist values on kids. All in the name of the health of the kids, by the way, because confusing kids about their gender at the age of five is definitely good for them. Teaching kids at the age of five that there is nothing beneficial about male-female relationships for the production and rearing of children, and also that male and female are completely arbitrary categories to which you personally could belong, any category you choose, none of that is going to have any deleterious effect on children or future generations. None of this has to do with, with raising a healthier crop of small children, by the way. As a father of small children, I guarantee you that. But this really has to do is with adults who have decided they need to indoctrinate the next generation in order to accept whatever they decide to engage in sexually that day or whatever they decide to identify as that day. It's about remolding society in a radical left-wing hierarchical mold in which the people at the top of the hierarchy are the people who purport to be the greatest victims. According to the ACLU, here is what sexual health and HIV prevention instruction in grades K through 6 must include the following. They must... Be they they must affirmatively recognize different sexual orientations in kindergarten and be inclusive of same-sex relationships in discussions and examples. K through six, you must teach about gender, gender expression, gender identity, and the harm of negative gender stereotypes. You have to teach, presumably, gender fluidity. They have to be free of bias based on actual or perceived disability, gender, gender identity, gender expression, race or ethnicity, nationality, religion, or sexual orientation. Additional content that may be taught in K through six, include things, can be taught, right? Allowed. Information about accessing resources for sexual and reproductive health care. It can be taught, K through six, in California. Also, you're, you're allowed to teach kids about effectively abortion, reproductive, so-called reproductive health. And gender theory is deeply embedded in all this stuff. And it's recommended, okay? It's, this is not an outlying theory that is pushed by the left. It is recommended by people writing for the American Federation of Teachers, in 2019, there's an article brought out by the Official Journal of the American Federation of Teachers, which is the second largest teachers union in the United States after the NEA. There's an article by Jill Herman Wilmarth and Caitlin Ryan talking, it's called Reading and Teaching the Rainbow. And the affirmative case that it makes is that you should use elementary school classrooms as indoctrination centers for LGBTQ plus agenda items. They say people are sometimes shocked by the notion that teachers should address lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer topics in elementary schools. Maybe they think children those ages are too young, that those conversations are better had at home, or that the whole topic is simply inappropriate. This is not what we believe at all. Instead, we simply want them to talk about the diversity of families and relationships and communities in ways that include LGBTQ plus people. After all, public schools are for everyone except if you're religious or you hold traditional values or believe in natural law, then they're not for you. But everyone else, they're definitely for. If children themselves don't have LGBTQ parents, perhaps they have a peer with two moms at daycare or a relative who comes out as gay, or maybe they've heard a story about transgender rights on the news. So now it is the job of schools. If a kid hears something on the news or could hear something on the news, we need to teach kids about that immediately in all possible contexts. I don't think that this is what the left actually believes, by the way. Okay, the, the best part of this article is how you should teach small children about gender. Again, they're talking about kindergartners. I'm not five-year-olds. I have a boy who's five. I would never allow my kid within 30 feet of people like this. You'd have to be out of your damn mind. And these are people who are writing long pieces for the American Federation of Teachers. The American educator, spring 2019, quote, if we help students see there aren't strict rules about what girls and boys can do or how girls and boys should be, then we help to blur those divisions between categories. And, and here I'm saying, yes, that, that's a bad thing. You don't want to blur the divisions between boys and girls because this creates gender confusion that is unmerited and unwarranted. But they think that it's a good thing to blur the lines. Okay? This blurring can help students learn to respect people who live these, those categories differently. When people disrupt any of the matrix categories through their gender identity, through their gender expression, or with whom and how they might fall in love, they are queering, disrupting and expanding the heterosexual matrix to make more kinds of lives and loves visible, teaching in this way. A method that we call questioning categories means helping your students investigate how both people in the real world and characters in books disrupt the heterosexual matrix and to what effect. We believe such questioning helps students become more aware of and more sensitive to the multiple ways of doing gender or being in relationships. Don't worry, it has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with sexual confusion or gender confusion. It's just good for your kids. It's just good. And if you notice that they are teaching bullcrap gender theory that was brought about by a bunch of morons in the 1960s pretending at being intelligent commentators. If you point out that there is no scientific basis for what they're talking about right here and that it has nothing to do with the overall health of school children, what it has to do instead is promoting a broader social agenda on the back of a small, very small group of people who have some problems that cannot be solved by shaping the entire society around those problems. If you do that, then then the society, if you notice, then they become very, very angry. It, all of this is, is now more and more embedded in, our, in, the, in the life of our nation. Yeah, ap- apathetic people in the middle so far, they, they sort of, okay, it doesn't bother me. What's the big deal? Okay, it is a big deal. The NEA adopted a measure in 2019 saying that the NEA would create model legislative language that state affiliates can use to lobby for a K through 12 cross-content curriculum that is LGBTQ plus inclusive. This is why when you see people, people I respect, who say that state legislation should not be involved in banning CRT or banning gender theory from K through 12 classrooms. The left ain't shy about this. They are attempting to cram this down on your kids because after all, everything's an emergency. And if everything's an emergency, then totalitarian power implemented at the expense of your children is totally justified. That indeed is the goal. All righty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. In the meantime, go check out the Michael Moles show today. He discusses the crime spikes in San Francisco and Chicago. You can hear more details about that over on Michael's show. That's available right now. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld, Executive Producer Jeremy Boring, Our Supervising Producer is Mathis Glover, Production Manager Pavel Wydowski, Associate producer, Bradford Carrington. Post producer, Justin Barber. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright, Daily Wire 2021. The White House plans to go door to door to get people jabbed with the vaccine. Crime spikes in San Francisco and Chicago. And a new study shows Democrats are more likely to dehumanize Republicans. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.